This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, uh, founder and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So, you know, true success boils down to how you control your thoughts and how we control what we do and the way we think about things. So today we're going to discover, and I'm going to include myself in here because we have an amazing guest. We're going to discover how to focus on solutions, not problems. Now, this is actually a big part of the Wealth Building Network. Uh, it's, it's basically a message we tell our clients. You know, we're going to focus on the solution to taxes, not the problem of taxes. We're going to focus on financial solutions, not financial problems. And I'm very grateful to have as our guest today, uh, Dr. Jason Selk. And uh, uh, Jason, you have a terrific um, background and thank you so much for joining us. And if you would just give us a little bit of your background and what you've done. Tom, thanks for having me. I appreciate very much being here with you all. So, you know, I think probably the most important thing to start with is my father was an accountant. So I grew up watching how hard you all work, seeing, you know, the very, very late nights and the very, very early mornings, and also seeing probably not getting as much credit as <laughs> you all deserve for the work you do. So the first thing I want to say is, please understand all you CPAs and accountants and tax preparers out there. There are people out there who do totally appreciate what you do. So thanks for making the impact you make. And I'll also say my dad was probably one of the greatest influences in terms of being solution focused. And I think it's a little bit of part of the trade that you all are in. You're not going to make it very far in your business if you're not solution focused, because I think anyone who's ever paid taxes will attest, it's a real problem. You know, filling out those returns and having to pay that money, it feels like a very serious problem. I'm sure I'm not telling any of you that. But um, so I first started having success. I mean, I, I went to University of Missouri, went all the way through school, got my doctorate in counseling and sports psychology. I opened a small private practice where I focused on helping individuals with any personal problems, whether it be depression, drug and alcohol, marriage counseling. And I had a little bit of a specialty in performance or in sports psychology. And for whatever reason, that, that specialty kind of grew into be my primary focus in my business. Over the years, I did less and less of the personal counseling and more and more of the sports psychology in 2006, the St. Louis Cardinals hired me to be director of sports psychology. And in my very first year, we won a World Series. I was with the team for six years, all the way through the 2011 season. And my last year with the team, we win a World Series. And from there, you know, anytime you do well with a professional organization, the likes of the St. Louis Cardinals, it really it makes it so that your platform is very, very large. And, you know, for me, from, from those two World Series and my six years with the Cardinals, the business world has really accepted me open arms. And I've, I've done a lot of really nice things in the business world, again, helping people take their game to the next level. level. I've been 
fortunate enough to have written five best-selling books. I just had one come out. Um, it's doing really well, Relentless Solution Focus. And I suppose that's what we'll talk a little bit about today. But that's a little bit about me. You know, again, if I was going to give credit to one thing more than anything else, it'd be probably both to my parents. Uh, they were both caregivers and they did fine financially. But what they taught me is more important than any money you're ever going to make, you make an impact in a positive way. So I'm glad to be with you all today. And hopefully in this next 20, 30 minutes, we'll, we'll get at least one thing people on the other side listening can take away and make their lives a little bit better, a little bit uh, better at what they do or a little bit easier to achieve happiness and the goals they've set. That's awesome. So um, let, let's start right here where you were talking about um, accountants and we, we tend to, you know, we have to come up with solutions, but what's the difference between coming up with solutions and being solution focused? So how do you distinguish those two? Because everybody has to solve problems. We do do more than most. And yet I still find that a lot of accountants, they're really focused more on the problem than the solution. Well, you know, again, I think it's in the delivery of the communication. Okay, but here, I, I want to say a couple of things because I think it's important for people to understand this. The way the brain's built for whatever reason, and we're all built this way, doesn't matter who you are, or what you've achieved, everybody has in their brain something called PCT, problem-centric thinking. It's the biological tendency to focus on the negative or the problems. I'll give you an example. Uh, the most valuable resource to our species, oxygen. Okay, now Tom, when's the last time you thought to yourself, life is great? You know, and again, we have this tendency and it's biologically based to overlook all the good, all the solutions that we really have. But now compare that with when's the last time you thought to yourself, I don't have enough love. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough respect. I don't have enough you fill in the blank. See, it's totally normal for the human brain to find those negatives. And you can trace it back biologically hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It goes back to the fight or flight. It was really put in place to keep us alive. You know, if, if we sure. weren't continually sensitive to the bear that could be hiding in the bush, we were likely to end up in that bear's mouth for dinner. And I think what, what has happened though is over the last hundreds and hundreds of years, we've gotten to a point with our species where this is the safest time to be alive. You know, and we just went through 2020. We don't need to get into the tough year we've had, but even with this pandemic and all the social injustice and all the issues and problems we might have, it is still, scientifically speaking, the safest time for human beings to be alive. So that PCT mechanism, although it's normal, it really these days works against us. Now, the good news, we can retrain that PCT trigger, if you will. It's called neuroplasticity. And a lot of people don't believe or don't understand that if something's hardwired into you, it doesn't mean that you have no control or can't do anything about it. In fact, we know, again, neuroplasticity, there's all kinds of things that can be retrained. Just like my bicep. When I'm born, my bicep, biologically speaking, is completely weak. I can't lift anything. But with training, that bicep can become big and strong. Same thing with our minds. Although we're born with this PCT trigger, we can, with training, and it only takes three minutes a day, this is the part that, again, I just so want people to understand this, that 
three minutes or less a day. And if you did it three days a week, you could actually retrain so that PCT became abnormal and that relentless solution focus became normal. Okay, so I'm gonna bite here, Jason. Give, it, give us the three minutes. I mean, we have another 20, so we can- Yeah, well, it'll take me a little longer than 20 minutes, but I'll just give you a- Let's, let's do the quick, three minutes, do yeah, it. I'll give you a quick summary. And, and, you know, it goes back to when I first started with the Cardinals in 2000, the year 2000. That was when I first, I, I just finished graduate school and I was getting ready to take my oral exams. It's a one week process where it's 40 hours a week of testing and you're basically tested over everything you've learned in graduate school. Now, you know, back then, the only room I could find big enough to put all the textbooks and notes that I had from, you know, four or five years of graduate school, I was sitting out on my deck and I've got all these notes and books and guides around me. And for the first time in my life, I had this thought. Now, you know, I'm 30 years old at the time and I thought to myself, I've been in school for, you know, 24, 25, 26 years. I really don't know anything else. I mean, I've worked some jobs to pay my way through school, but it's about to end. And I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money getting this mind figured out, but nobody really covered with me. Okay. How are you going to take this information and earn a living? You know, what are you going to sell? And I thought to myself, okay, I'm not even sure what mental toughness is. So I thought, okay, well, what's physical toughness? And I had an answer for that. I mean, I played sports growing up and, you know, if your body's strong, if you go head to head with a guy, you can push him around. If it's a boxing now, you, it's okay. Well, what, what's mental toughness? I said, okay, well, mental toughness would be, I guess, the ability to control your thoughts so that they worked always in your favor instead of against you, which, you know, we've just discussed by nature. A lot of times our thoughts work against us. I said, okay, if I was going to develop physical toughness, what would I do? So, okay, go to a coach or go to a trainer and they tell you three sets of 10 bicep curls, three sets right. of 10 bench press, you know, punch yep, the punch. We've all done it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I said, okay, I'm going to do the same thing for the mind. And I don't know, it was kind of like catching lightning in a bottle, but I wrote what was called the mental workout. Now, back then it was a three minute and 40 second process. And that was what got me the job with the St. Louis Cardinals. And it really was I think probably what took me from a graduate student to one of the top sports psychology consultants in the world was this five-step process called the mental workout. Now with professional athletes, it took longer. When I moved from the sports world into the business world, I realized, okay, for the mental workout, it's every bit as impactful with business people, but you don't need as long. And the reason being the athletes need longer to visualize because you can actually visualize and impact muscle memory. Well, we don't need muscle memory. It's really kind of more mental memory. So the mental workout is really a cornerstone of the three minutes. And for us in the business world, it's a five-step process. It takes a minute and 40 seconds to go through. And it's in the book, it's completely outlined again, what the five steps are and exactly what to do every second of the one minute and 40 seconds. And then the other piece of it is self-evaluation. It's something I call a success log. And, and these were the two tools I used in the sports world to have so much success. And again, I've noticed in the business world, it has every bit the same impact. So most people, because of PCT, when we evaluate ourselves, when we think about ourselves and our performance, I mean, think, how normal is it for you to do 100 things right, one thing less than perfect, and then when you get in your car to drive home, what you're thinking about is, oh yeah, 
Of course, and the one thing must look all the good. And, and, and accountants are, are, the, are the worst at all, of, uh, worst yeah. of all, because first of all, we're A students, right? Which yeah. is the most difficult place to be, I think. Um, you know, we, we always, you know, we didn't, we weren't looking for a 90%. We are looking for 100% yeah. on that test. So now we're working with clients and we have a client that's unhappy. We have a, a staff who makes a mistake on a tax return, et cetera. So how do you, so, so give us just one thing that we need to do to turn that around. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, going back, you said, what's the three minutes, a minute 40 is the mental workout. And then another minute or so is the self-evaluation. And here's the one thing, instead of allowing yourself when you're evaluating to evaluate what you've screwed up on first, and here's the rule with evaluation. And, and this really should be with any evaluation. When you're evaluating a restaurant, when you're evaluating your car, your children, your spouse with yourself, self-evaluation always, Tom, always begin with the positive. So when I get in my car to drive home and it doesn't really hit me then as much as, you know, I, I do a lot of public speaking and I've noticed that when I walk off the stage, my mind wants to go to that one imperfection. Yeah, of course. No, I'm, I'm saying the same way. I, you know, I, I speak a lot of too. And that is, that's the first thing that happens. You go, okay, oh my so here's, here's I the one done this. Here, here's the one thing. I want, instead of allowing yourself to focus on that misstep, you must first begin by answering this question. What are three things I did well? You know, and people ask me a lot too. Okay, well, I, you know, th this stuff is really good for me. I'd like to get my children involved. I'd like to teach my children this. And I'll tell you, you know, I've got an 18 year old, a 17 year old and a 14 year old. They've seen me talk about this stuff. I've made it come to, you know, hundreds of keynote speeches over the years. And I would say, you know, not to, not to pat myself on the back, but the one thing my wife and I have done with our children is we've made them learn when they evaluate themselves, whether it be in sports, in school, in their relationships, when they evaluate themselves, they must talk about what they've done well before they get to start any of the other garbage about beating themselves up. So, so let me ask you, so, so you come to the end of a day, right? Because for me, it's always the end of the day, right? And beginning of the day, no problems. Everything's great. I can tackle whatever you, you throw at me. About um, eight o'clock at night, right? Your brain starts going, you go and you start evaluating all that stuff. So is that a good time to be doing that? For example, is okay, now I'm going to look back on my day and let's look at those three good things. And maybe that bad thing isn't going to feel quite so bad. Is, is, is yeah. that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So you're, you're, you're pushing me here. So again, the normal way to evaluate is you overlook the good, you focus on the negative. Yep. Just so you know, that method of evaluation have, has been scientifically proven to be exactly counterproductive for high-level performance. And the more successful you become, the more the negative impact, right? So instead of doing that, which is normal, focus on what you've screwed up on. Two steps. What'd you do well? What's one thing you want to improve tomorrow? So again, it's, it's very similar. I mean, I'm just looking at it through the lens. You know, you shared with me that question earlier before we started that the question is solution focused when you're in terms of what, what's the solution? How can we write this off instead of can we write this off? So instead of what I do wrong, what's one thing I want to improve? You're really kind of getting to the same information, but you're looking at it through a different lens. It's that relentless solution focus that increases confidence and gives control. And that's what for high level performance, it's all about.
No, I, I, I like that. So one of my one of my favorite lessons has been um, this idea that um, the lower our need, the higher our um, the higher our power. So if we go into a challenging situation, let's say, let's say for example, we've got a client and they're struggling with something, and and it's us. That's what that's the thing they're struggling with, and we're going okay. Um, one of the things we learned that I learned early on in sales was it's very important to go into any sale with, I don't need your business. Okay. I don't need this business because that puts me to low need, which gives me a high power. So how does that fit in with what you're talking about when it comes to mental toughness? Yeah. So I think it's really connected to PCT, you know, pressure is self-induced. You really, if you look at normal performance pressure, it all comes from within and it really has a tendency to come from that PCT standpoint. What could go wrong if I don't get this? What's wrong with me if this client doesn't say yes? How could I screw this up? Those are all kind of problem-centric thoughts right. that I think are going to be obviously permeated and punctuated through that PCT tendency to look at things through the negative lens. So I think if you just take the pressure off and and you know, you, you get all kinds of people talk about it. You focus on what you can control instead of what you can't control. Here, I want to say one other thing. Your mind can only fully focus on one thing at a time. Okay, so if you're focused on the pressure, you can't be focused on what you need to do to get, in this case, the client to say yes. If you're focused on the problem, you can't in the same moment be focused on the solution. If you're focused on things you cannot control, it's not possible in those same moments to be focused on what you can control. And that's what mental toughness is, is essentially training the brain so that it becomes normal to focus on solutions, the positive, what you can control. So, so give us some examples. What would be some situations where you find that um, people have a real difficulty with this mental toughness and, and what, what, what do they do to, I mean, we know what they're, you're, you know, we know we get the process now. So what are some examples of that? Tom, it's everywhere. Mental toughness is completely abnormal, but it can be learned. And again, this is what I've been preaching for 20 years. It's not a pep talk. And I think most people, most people, are teaching mental toughness as a pep talk. And it's just really not. I mean, it, it, it's no more a pep talk as getting my bicep to be strong would be a pep talk. I mean, I could go listen to, you know, the greatest physical trainers in the world talk about how to build the strength in my bicep. I could sign up for day after day after day of listening to their preachings, but nothing happens to the bicep until I actually go out and, start doing the bicep curls or whatever the training is. It's the same thing here. And again, it goes back to that neuroplasticity, neurons that wire together, excuse me, neurons that fire together, wire together. So that, that just, all that means is you gotta do the lifting. And the good news from the mental standpoint, like I said, it's three minutes or less a day. You did it three days a week, you can't stop the mind from starting to work more for you as opposed to the natural state of it working against you. 
Okay, so one of the things you talk about is the seduction of success. Okay, what do you mean by that? Because to me, I mean, if, if, you're, if you've succeeded, then great, then, you know, that is positive. So what, what do you mean by that? And what's the issue with that? Yeah, so I, I've seen so often that I call it riding the roller coaster, okay? That a person, for whatever reason, starts to work very hard. They're focused, they do the work, and then the success starts to show up. And then they get to that successful point, and that's where the seduction sets in. And, you know, I chose that word carefully because you don't realize it's happening. You know, it, it sneaks up on you. And the problem is that when you become seduced by the success, you stop doing the work that caused mm. the success. Okay, and, and then what you're going to see sooner than later is the results start to go down. And then what happens for a lot of people is they get to a place of desperation and that motivates them to start working their tails off again to get back up. But it's this over and over, you know, three, four times a year, people have these ups and downs. And it's one of the things I really talk about is you must identify what your single most important activity is daily to cause your results. That's called a process goal. And once you identify that number one most important activity, then you have to get your mind to work in your favor so that you can, not perfectly, but 90% of the time, get that one most important activity done. And if you can get that one most important activity done 90% of the time, consistently, you won't have the seduction. It's the opposite of seduction. You're not allowing it to happen. And, and that really is the key. And you know, people say, well, I want it to be like brushing my teeth. I wish it was. I wish high-level success was like brushing your teeth. But I'll manage expectations. Yeah, I suspect it's more like Tom Brady's workouts, right? And his well, that's the thing is, and it took me a little while to figure it out, not too long. But if you want to be highly successful, you have to work for it. But what I also learned is it's not as hard as people think it is. It's not that much more work than being somewhat average or good. It's that consistency. One of my favorite quotes right now, I just uh, saw this in a book from John Wooden, always practice simplicity with constant repetition. You know, so if I'm in sales, I know I got to make, let's say, three proactive contacts every day. Do that for three months, 90% of the time. Do that for six months, 90% of the time. Do it for a year, 90% of the time. You do that, you're not going to be seduced by your success. You're going to enjoy your success. No, I, I like that. I, you know, what we see a lot of, um, both with ourselves and with clients, of course, is that you know when things are going well, they tend to forget about their expenses. They, they don't do those basics that we're talking about um, because you know, kind of like money solves all the problems, right? But in my mind, sometimes it's money that causes all the problems because like you say, I think that's the seduction. Well, we're being successful, so we must be doing it right. And we're, we forget those, the fundamentals. I, you know, the thing I always learned about um, baseball is it's all about the fundamentals first. And, and, and let, if you're not doing the fundamentals, the rest of it doesn't even matter. Well, and I would say first and last. I mean, John Wooden, greatest coach of any sport of all time, he practiced something called change of pace, change of direction every single day. I mean, think about this. This guy coached for 40 plus years. This one, not one of, arguably voted the greatest coach of any sport of all time. And every day they work on running at different speeds and changing directions. I mean, think that had to be a grind. 
<laughs> I'm sure they worked to make it somewhat fun. And then think of the players. Now the players only with him did it for four years as a college athlete, but these were some of the greatest athletes in the world having to do the same thing. The greatest coaches, the greatest leaders of all time have always known the importance of fundamentals. And again, Coach Wooden's words are so appropriate in the business world as well. Always practice simplicity with constant repetition. But Tom, it's really hard. And that's where in the book, I'm really trying to teach people how to get your mind to make that so that it's easier, so that you're not working against yourself. And it's still hard, but trust me, you know, I've been doing this stuff. I, I eat my own cooking. I've been doing this stuff for 20 years now. And I will tell you, my life is so much easier than it used to be. So much easier. If you like drama, you'll hate, you will hate this. No, that's a good point. I mean, you do take all the drama out of things. It's, uh, it's like, you know, one of my favorite books is Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way right? Because you're looking at an obstacle as opposed to being looking at it as the problem. You're looking at it as it is the solution and it actually creates this better solution. And uh, I've, I've at least found that, you know, following that whole thought process has been fantastic, but I love the idea of having a process that you're actually training yourself every day and you're following that same program every day. I'm a, I'm a triathlete, a swimmer, um, well, I'm a swimmer first, triathlete second. And, uh, you know, it's easy. I mean, I know that if I miss a week, I'm in trouble, right? If I miss two weeks, I'm in big trouble. If I miss a month, I have to start all over again. And, uh, and so to me, that's why, you know, coming up with exercises, that's what I love about exercises. I love about a consistent approach is that, you know, that if, as long as I keep doing this and at three minutes a day, we ought to be able to do that. Right. Um, but as long as I keep doing this, I'm going to be, I'm going to be just fine. Well, you know, it's the 72-hour rule, muscle deterioration. Your, your bicep, your brain is very much like your bicep in this case. Muscle deterioration begins within 72 hours of the last workout. And that's why I try to tell people, listen, if you can just get in there and do those three minutes, you know, do the success logs three days a week, do your mental workouts three days a week, it's hard to have a 72-hour period happen in between those three days a week. So, you know, just like your swimming workouts, if, you know, if you're kind of in a situation where you're burned out or you just go bare minimum on the thing and get three yep. workouts a week so you don't lose all the work you need, you know, and you speed up the process. If you're going to do four days a week, five days a week, you just speed up the process. Excellent. So this has been terrific. Um, I can't believe our time's already up here, Jason. But um, if you will, just final words, final uh, piece of advice or um, ideas of things that people can tangibly do. Um, we do want, you know, go to the book, Relentless Solution Focus, love that. Um, so besides that, that's the obvious first step. What else, uh, what else do you recommend before we leave here? Well, I'll say it again. You know, it's kind of what I started with, but I know as CPAs and accountants and tax preparers, you all are working your tails off and you don't get the credit. I mean, I, my dad was the nicest human being literally I've ever met. And when it was time to do our taxes, I mean, it was, you know, we'd go around a little bit and it's terrible looking back at that from my end, like, oh, that was such a terrible way to approach me getting frustrated at him about not doing my expenses. You know, you brought up a memory there, he and I going round and round. But point is, listen, it's been a tough year. You all have worked very hard to help other people. 
And I would tell the people out there listening, you got to remember to take care of yourselves. You're worth it. And I'd ask you, pick up a copy of this book. I really feel like this book is, you know, like I said, I've, I've written, this is my fifth book. And I think all the books, they've all been bestsellers and they've, they've done great. But this book, I think right now, I think everybody in our country, probably this world, people need to be reading this and learning how we can get our minds right so that we as a team can be playing at a higher level. But you all are worth it. You're making a major impact on people's lives. And I think this book would be a way to kind of give back to yourself, teach you how to actually take care of you a little bit better. So thanks for everything you all do. Tom, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it being here very much. Thank you uh, again, Dr. Jason Selk, uh, Relentless Solution Focus. Uh, that is what we are about as a profession is relentless solution focus. And, and the other thing is, remember that all of our clients, that's what they want. They want a relentless solution focus from us. They don't want to know why they can't do something. They want to know how to do what they want to do and pay the least amount of tax as possible. When we, when we really focus that way, I think we're always going to find that we're going to have better clients, a better practice, and better life. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.